From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Milady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is ready to take your questions. Just pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn dot com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky, and Charles Beery, I believe, handling our social media efforts today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, coming to us live from Tornado Alley, Los Angeles, California. Father Brian Milady, how are you? Oh, great. Yeah, I'm at St. Anthony of Padua Parish in Gardena giving a parish mission. And uh, Rockford, Illinois, tomorrow. So yeah, if they would have told you that you're going to see a tornado with a mission this week, you probably wouldn't have guessed L.A. You might have guessed Rockford. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Father, we got a, an email here from Alejandro, and he said, "How should I respond to my friend who is a determinist and moral relativist, but still believes that we should impose our morality on others?" Well, first of all, if you're a determinist. As far as I understand that to mean, that means you don't have any freedom. And you're determined to act the way you do, kind of by some kind of divine decree. Uh, the way you respond is basically you point out to your friend that there's this thing called the natural law to which we all have to respond. And he doesn't have, if, if he doesn't believe in objective morals, then he doesn't have a right to impose his subjective judgments on other people. If he does believe in objective morals, then there is a standard which we all have to uh, conform. And so he can point that out to other people, or if he wants to make laws concerning it, he can do that. But he can't maintain that he doesn't isn't a part of it, number one. And number two, that uh, he doesn't have to correspond to the law himself. Thanks, Alejandro. We appreciate the email. And I forgot what day of the week it was, Father, and I just started firing emails at you, uh, probably much to your bewilderment, because you sat settled in already to talk about gluttony. And maybe that's a, maybe that's a subconscious effort on my part to not talk about gluttony. Well, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, no, I just go with the flow. Uh, I, I'm an old high school teacher. They used to change the schedule on us 
school began for an assembly or something. So you have to learn to adapt fast. Well, uh, my, me and yeah, my over wanted... me and my overdeveloped waistline will will yield to your uh, pontificating on gluttony now. Well, I wanted to talk about gluttony because, of course, during Lent, if people go to confession. And many people confess gluttony, but I'm not really sure they realize what it's all about, number one. Number two, they don't realize that though gluttony is what we call one of the capital sins, which means to say it gives rise to other sins, it's not a mortal sin in itself. Lust is a mortal sin in itself. Gluttony isn't. Gluttony is a venial sin in itself. So it need not under absolute obligation be confessed. It's highly recommended you confess venial sins. But one of the problems is, of course, that people never talk about it today. And if they do, it's usually under some guise of health or um, some kind of criteria that has to do with the yuppie lifestyle or something like that. Gluttony is basically where your belly dominates your life. And that can be either be a, a gluttony of excess, which is demonstrated by the fact that you constantly want to eat too much. But it's not the eating that's the issue. It's the taste that's the issue. One author said that what a gluttonous person does, is he doesn't want a bigger stomach. He wants a longer neck and palate so you can taste the food more and more and more as it goes down. But there's another form of gluttony, which is hardly ever talked about and not even thought about, really. There's also a gluttony by effect. The fact that portions involved are sometimes small leads people to believe that they don't practice gluttony. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful letter in the Screwtape Letters where he talks about the fact that there's gluttony by uh, defect of people who are too squeamish about their food. And he uses the example of an old woman who uh, has to find the right, exactly the correct form of tea properly made, the correct form of this properly done. And she can never find anyone who can do these things properly and she tyrannizes waitresses that are overworked in restaurants. She makes her family uncomfortable because her tastes are never satisfied. And all this is stated to be uh, virtue <laughs> because the portions of the world are small. And he says, someday this woman will discover that her belly has come to dominate her life. And it comes to dominate her life because she's too interested in what we would call dieting probably today. I mean, you know, you have so many things where you can't eat this and won't eat that and can't eat this and won't eat that and can't enjoy this and can't enjoy that because somehow it's going to eventually lead to the detriment of her health in the future. Also, it's important to re realize that, as I say, this is usually a light sin, a menial sin. When would it become a mortal sin? Well, when you're so interested in getting a certain kind of food prep that you might even commit murder to get it. Now, this may seem far-fetched to you, 
But I remember years ago, there was a, a fellow on PBS, the Frugal Gourmet, and he had a cookbook. And in the section on mushrooms, he said that there was a particular mushroom that was so prized by an emperor of China that he actually committed assassination to get it. Now, that is an example of a mortal sin of gluttony. But for the most part, apart from the considerations of health um, as such, gluttony is a venial sin. And so, though we should be concerned about it, not, not having our belly dominate our life, the connection of it with our health-mad culture today is not a good one as far as spiritual life is concerned. Because we're not doing fad diets in order to do away with gluttony. Gluttony has to do with excessive use of anything, either by eating too much of it or being too concerned about it. And he said, C.S. Lewis says the state of mind in which the devil should get this woman is the denial of anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be caviar. It could be, um, well, uh, a kind of liquor. Uh, anything like that produces daily distemper. Friendships are cool, and the person doesn't um, have any interest in the interpersonal relationships that food and conviviality really uh, hold out to us in what the whole idea is of not only having food support your body, but the conviviality that has to do with having a meal together. Many people, as you know, don't have meals together anymore. Families, many of them don't eat together. And that's very, very sad. So though we should be concerned about gluttony, we shouldn't be overly concerned about it. And we shouldn't connect it with the body is everything culture that we live in today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call. Anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican father, Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, through redemptive Catholic journalism, EWTN News helps advance the gospel and the teachings of the church. Get our trusted Catholic news right in your email inbox. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, 
Adam would like to know, what is the distinction between the way that baptism incorporates us into the body of Christ and the way the Eucharist does? The Catechism seems to suggest a distinction. Well, yeah, because the Eucharist is an ontological union with Christ himself, so that you're actually taking on uh, Christ's way of looking at things. Whereas the Christ's head of the church is uh, more a societal or what they call a forensic uh, union in which you're a member of the society of which he is the head. Now, of course, it is an interior society, that's true. And it's an interior society which is oriented to heaven and has the sacraments as its means or foundation as well as the hierarchy. But it's not quite the same. Uh, it's like the union of social union between people and an actual union of food with you in your own body where it becomes a part of you. Only in this case, as you know, as St. Augustine says, in all other food, the food becomes us. But in this food, we become the food. So from the Lord's body and blood, we fuse our souls with his, and therefore we become more transformed and supported in being like him if we're having worthy communions. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. Two open lines for you at 833-288-3986. We head now to the shores of Lake Erie. Kim is a first-time caller in Cleveland, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kim, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Well, hello there, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is, during my lunchtime, I listen to Mass. It's live stream Mass daily. Is that a sin because I'm not really partaking in it because I am getting interrupted having to answer well, the telephone or go answer the door? No, it wouldn't be a sin. It's, it's laudable that you want to have some sort of spiritual consolation. Uh, it doesn't substitute for your Sunday Mass obligation if it's Sunday, obviously. But during the week, it's just a matter of your devotional life. So, no, I, I don't think you're committing a sin at all. I think you're doing something that's very helpful to your own spiritual life, apparently. And even though you do have to interrupt yourself occasionally to do your work, um, the very fact that you're attempting to focus your attention on Christ and his actions in your life is basically what the spiritual life is about. So religious orders used to have some funny practices to point this out. And the Christian brothers, they used to ring a bell every hour. And they say, let Jesus live in our hearts now and forever. Everybody would answer. Even if you were in school, everybody had to stop. Let Jesus live in our hearts now and forever to try to demonstrate that all day long our Lord's presence is with us. Does that put your mind at rest, Kim? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day. Same to you. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. Willie is in Columbia, South Carolina. 
listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Willie, welcome to the program. Thank you. My question is, was the same Mary who poured the alabaster oil on Jesus' head was Lazarus' sister? I, I believe so, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, the question usually turns around Mary Magdalene being related somehow to the whole thing. And uh, it seems they were different people. But uh, as far as Lazarus' sister is concerned, it actually takes place at Bethany. And so it presumably is the same Mary, yes. Does that help, Willie? Yes, that helps a lot. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Marino is listening on Holy Family Radio. Marino, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. I uh, I just would like to ask you if you could articulate uh, which of the the Christian denominations believe in the real presence of of Jesus in the in the Eucharist. So I, I know, of course, uh, Roman Catholic does, but does the Eastern Rite also believe in the uh, real presence? And do any of the, um, uh, I think it's what, 16 um, Orthodox uh, uh, denominations, do any of them believe in the real presence? And of course, do any of the uh, Protestant ones do? That's what I was just wondering. Okay. Well, first of all, I wouldn't refer to the Orthodox Church's denominations because they mostly disagree on certain points of the ritual, but they each have a a patriarch or a bishop who's in charge of them. And the only problem they have basically uh, is that they're not, don't recognize the Pope as the universal patriarch uh, to which they owe obedience. Now, many of them recognize him as a primacy of honor, but not as to whom they owe obedience. But yes, my understanding is that though they may not couch it in the same terms we do, because they don't participate in the Latin theology, and especially the medieval theology, uh, they do believe all, not only the real presence, but they do believe that the Eucharist is a sacrifice. Now, people like Luther will say they believe in the real presence. There was supposedly a famous debate he had with Zwingli who said that the Eucharist was only a spiritual presence of our Lord. And Luther went up to the chalkboard or something, whatever he used to write with, and he said, it says, Hulk est, est anum. It, this is my body, not it seems to be my body or something like that. But they don't believe in a sacrificial priesthood. And they, they believe in ministers who are ministers of... Uh, well, I don't know, Holy Communion, the preach or whatever. And the Lutherans practice what's called the presence of Christ in Uzdu, which means that as long as the Eucharist is celebrated, it's Christ, but it's also bread. Remember, they, they have this peculiar consubstantial thing. And uh, so it can be both, which is impossible, really. And as soon as the Eucharist ends, it just reverts back to being bread. So they don't reserve the sacrament. The Anglicans are a little more high church about it. But even with them, they don't have a central authority except the king or the queen. 
And it's never been exactly defined. Some Anglicans reserve the sacrament. Some of them believe that it's a, a sacrifice. But it's pretty clear, and one of the popes defined it, that they have no apostolic succession after the Reformation. So in other words, whoever, whatever they went through in an ordination ritual, it, they didn't become a sacrificial priest in the sense of Roman priests. So uh, the answer to your question would be uh, the Orthodox communion, the Orthodox churches do believe in the real presence. And they're re referred to by Vatican II as churches. The uh, Protestants, even if they say they do, they don't exactly believe in it in the same way we do. And so they're not referred to as churches in the document and the church in Vatican II. They're referred to as something like ecclesial communities or something. And they purposely made that distinction. So uh, it would only be us in the Orthodox that believe in the real presence and as far as what we consider Christ to have instituted. And when you say us, you are including the Eastern Rite Catholic churches, correct? Right. Right. I said the Eastern Eastern Orthodox, whatever. But also the yeah, Eastern Rites that are like the Maronites. Well, I mean and the... all the Eastern Rites in union with Rome when I use the word Eastern Orthodox, yeah. So um, also, the Russians certainly believe in, in all of them. Yeah. yeah. God bless you, Marina. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 271 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 and you can always send us that email the email address is openline at ewtn.com that's openline at ewtn.com like to uh recognize two of our longtime EWTN radio partners that are conducting their spring fund appeals next week. Spirit Catholic Radio, which serves Nebraska with 14 stations, and Covenant Radio serves the Midwest with over 40 signals. No matter where you're listening to us, please support your local Catholic radio station. Um, they are worthy of your support and working hard to make sure uh, that this programming is available to you. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Neil in Western Kentucky, Melody in Sugarland, Texas, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls and a couple of open lines for you. The numbers again: eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. That's one eight three three two eight eight. 3986. And if you are outside of North America, we would still love to take your phone call today on Open Line Thursday. That number is 1 205 271 2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you give us a call at 1 205 271 2985. 
And you can always send us that email. The email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with our very own Dominican, Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288. Where did that come from? 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We head next to Western Kentucky. Neil is in the, the uh, what am I looking for? the Commonwealth of Kentucky, listening on WLCR Radio. Neil, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Okay, uh, I want to thank EWN for taking my call. But my problem is this. It's, uh, it's Matthew 1240. Jesus said, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's valley, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then I want to bring your attention to uh, the 28th chapter of of Matthew. At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary the Magdalene and the other Mary came to the sepulchre. I don't understand where the three days and three nights come from because at, at, the, at the seventh it was a, it was third when did he die well he died at three o'clock remember so um uh well they come from the jewish numeration of time because the jews believe that the day began uh, not as we do at midnight but it's dusk so you have friday you have saturday and then you have sunday in the morning so that's how it winds up to be three days. But what's also important is what Christ did during those three days when his soul was separated from his body. You remember, he went to the limbo of the just and he instructed them in three days concerning himself that they had believed in and died in a state of grace waiting for. And as he instructed the world for three years when he walked the roads of Galilee. So there's a beautiful painting by Fra Angelico in which Christ is knocking down the doors of the gates of the limbo of the just. What we refer to as hell in our translation of the Apostles' Creed, the depths, the inner uh, shale, the land uh, of shadows. Um... Uh, because they've been waiting for him to die on the cross to go to heaven. And so he evangelizes them, and then when he rises from the dead, they go to heaven, too. Finally. God bless the you. Herring, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Father. It's okay. The herring of hell is an extremely important thing. And uh, there's a beautiful homily about it that's quoted in the Catechism. And actually, we also read in the pre in the office for that day, about it and it says basically everybody's been waiting all these people who believe in you have been waiting 
And so uh, he who has fallen asleep takes them with him then when he goes to heaven. Thanks, Neil. We appreciate the call. And also yesterday on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday, if you go to our podcast page at EWTN.com slash radio, Father Mitch uh, gave some treatment to this particular topic as well. Uh, we hope to hear from you in the future. Our phone number again is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Melody is a first-time caller. She's in Sugarland, Texas. Listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Melody Sugarland just sounds like a great place to be. It is. It's everything sweeter in Sugarland, they say. <laughs> there you go. What's your question today? Um, hello, Father. My call. I was wondering if you could speak about the church's teaching on organ donation. What was it, an organ donation? The church's teaching? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, uh, you're allowed to donate your organs, provided you don't kill yourself to give them away, or the hospital pays your death to do so. And if you wish, you don't have to, but you can. And uh, it, it, it's that's neither here nor there with regard to the resurrection of the body. But uh, and if you're alive, of course, because there are people who donate when they're alive, like kidneys and things like that. As long as it's not the detriment of your health, it's an extremely charitable act to give someone else a part of your body so they may live. So as far as, far as I understand, that's the simple nutshell of it. The one thing you can't do is have the hospital or the doctor hasten your death so they can get a fresh one, so to speak. Uh, that's why living wills are not a good idea because it leaves the decision in the hands of the medical professionals sometimes concerning these things who have no interest in what your will is. Rather, durable power of attorneys are more recommended because then you designate, in case you're incapacitated, you designate someone who knows your will to uh, well, I suppose you could say guard yourself from overzealous medical employees. Uh, so, uh, no, it can be a wholly and laudable act to give away your organs, provided you're not affecting your own health or trying to hasten your death, kind of euthanasia-wise, to do that. Does that make sense, Melody? Sense, Melody? Yes. Um, so just to, just to clarify, so there are certain organs, like you said, that you – your body has to still be alive in order to donate. But if you are, um, there's no no chance of your surviving, it's okay for them to harvest those organs um, they can't while that to you're still alive. No, actually, I think, Melody, what he was saying is that there are some or organs that you can donate and still survive, like a kidney. You can live with one kidney. You couldn't donate your heart because you can't live without your heart. So you can't hasten uh, the death of someone uh, to get an organ, and you can't jeopardize the health of an otherwise healthy person in order to do that as well. Exactly. Well, God bless you, Melanie. We appreciate that phone call. Our call screener, Matt Kubensky, knowing that you're from Portland, 
uh, father wants to know what your position is on Oregon donation. <laughs> well, we're constantly praying that they turn a little more to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Jason. He's in Southwest Michigan listening on Holy Family Radio. Jason, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hey, how you doing, Father? Great. Um, so my question is in regards uh, to the um, perpetual virginity of Mary. And I wondered, uh, in respect to us believing that uh, Jesus was fully God and fully human, it seems like he would have had to have had a fully human birth uh, to, to be fully human. And not like, as some of the early church fathers put it, uh, light through glass and whatnot. Um, and I was wondering, because I believe that she was a virgin up until she had Jesus, and then if she had a natural birth, not to deny Jesus' humanity, uh, then after his birth, she would have no longer been a virgin. Are you referring to the hymen breaking? Sure. Why wouldn't she have been is that what you're talking about? Well, well, why, why wouldn't she be a virgin? She hasn't had intercourse with a man even after Jesus's birth. If that's what you're referring right. to, Mary was before and after untouched by man, so she was not. Uh, she was always a virgin, semper virginis. Uh, the people that are described as children, uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters, as you know, are and using the Jewish way of reckoning. Again, the extended family were considered to be brothers and sisters. So Mary had no other children, and she didn't have relations with her husband. If that's what you're referring to, uh, she was still a virgin, yes. Thanks, Jason. We appreciate the call. That frees up a line for you at 833 288 EWTN. Next up is Rudy in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Rudy, you're on with Father Brian. Um, hello. I, I have a question about um, penance. I um, I was kneeling. I've been kneeling a lot often for 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 a miracle to happen, and I've been doing this um, kneeling process like at church. And there's this one event that. We're outside, and I kneeled, and there was a lot of, like, concrete floors and rocks. So I really hurt myself by doing this. So I'm just—my question is that is doing, like, penance that will hurt your body, like kneeling, is, is, is there a way that maybe I could, I guess, still receive the, the healing or still receive the, the mercy of, of Christ? If I can't for, um, physically do the kneeling or do the penance, is it healthy? Is what healthy? Uh, kneeling um, when you're hurting yourself is not healthy. No. And you're never to do any physical penances that in some way jeopardize your health. That's a part of our tradition. Remember, Catholics don't we aren't uh, sadomasochists who just want to uh, uh, um, suffer, 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 suffer. No, that's we're often portrayed that way in film. That is not authentic Catholic spirituality. 
uh, any good works that are done, any devotions that are done aren't to the detriment of health. If you really want a miracle, they may be a means to give that, but maybe God doesn't want to give you that miracle either. So you have to try to conform yourself primarily to the will of God and not hurt yourself. Any confessor of any salt will tell you that. So we fast, for example, but you know, Catholic fasting is pretty, pretty low key. Two meals can't equal a principal meal. Well, if you've ever been to Italy where they wrote the law, a principal meal is pretty principal. I mean, there's lots to eat there. And uh, also, uh, people used to take, in my order, they used to take the scourge, you know, the flagellum. But it was very mitigated. It wasn't supposed to draw blood or anything like that. It was a symbol of penance more than anything else. In the old movie, The Nun's Story, the mother general gives her the, she calls it the discipline for penance in private. And she says, well, remember, it's essentially a a symbol of penance. Too much is as bad as too little. (laughs) And if you're hurting yourself, stop it. All right. Not anything to the detriment of your health or to cause you pain. It's not the more, the, the Catholic principle of merit is not the harder it hurts, the better, the more you, uh, you know, the better you are. The Catholic principle of merit is love. It's the more love with which something is done that makes it better. So whether it's your family or your friends or your job or your whatever, try doing virtuous actions and offering them for this and not harming your poor body. There are places and times where, of course, physical penances are indicated, provided they're not, again, detrimental to health. But unfortunately, even Francis de Sales advises the Jansenist nuns, uh, Mère Angelique and company, he said, don't afflict your poor body with fasting because it may be needed for some good works later on that you won't have the strength to do. And the good works are the important thing. How's that, Rudy? I uh, just so want to say thank you, Father, for this, for the words of wisdom. I do experience pain when I kneel now, and it hurts me that I can't kneel that much at Mass. And I just, I guess my mind is just focused on just on my personal healing with my eyes. I'm I'm visually impaired, and now I have kneeling problems. So I guess, like you said, just leave it up to God's will and show more love than penance or have a good sense of letting God's will be done. I think you've got it, Rudy. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thanks so much. And you'll also have a whole bunch of folks listening to this show today that will be praying for you. Next up is Mary in the great state of Illinois listening on Covenant Radio. Mary, you're on with Father Brian. Hi, Father. Um, I have a question. If you think that God will hold us Catholics to a higher standard than he does the Protestants, and what I mean by that is that if we die with unrepented um, mortal sin on our soul, we go to hell. But in order for it to be a mortal sin, it has to be of grave matter. You have to know it's a mortal sin, and you have to do it of your own free will. So if they don't know that these are mortal sins, you know, are they are they not going to be held accountable? But we will. 
you also have to have full knowledge. There's three requirements, full knowledge, consent, and grave matter. Uh, of course, the person also does have the uh, obligation to seek the knowledge that's important. But I think that a sincere Protestant who hasn't really been evangelized by Catholicism, and perhaps because of their upbringing, they're not really open to it, um, but no, through no fault of their own, uh, or not at least a small fault today, many people couldn't tell you what the arguments of the Reformation were over. Some people could, but most people couldn't. Um, that they're excused from invincible ignorance. Whereas Catholics don't have the excuse of invincible ignorance because we have the fullness of doctrine. So to the extent that we have more knowledge available to us, in that sense, we could say that we would be more accountable um, because um, we're not, we shouldn't be ignorant of our religion. As you know, however, today though, there are many Catholics who are unevangelized. They know almost nothing about their religion. Uh, even when it comes to confession, uh, they haven't examined their conscience in years. I've had pe lots of people come and say, well, I want to go to confession, but I don't know what is a sin and what isn't a sin. Uh, it's, it's very complicated today. And unfortunately, the church isn't as zealous as it should be in catechesis and evangelization for Catholics either. However, the people who teach religion, professional teachers of religion, or priests or bishops, they have more responsibility because it's their office to know and their duty to know and as best they can to impart others. And if they don't do that, well, they're, they have no little less excuse. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Be sure to check out The Doctor is In tomorrow afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's Look Back Friday. Dr. Ray revisits calls from previous programs and gives a little extra treatment and a little extra time to those answers. It's Look Back Friday tomorrow on The Doctor is In, 1 p.m. Eastern time right here on EWTN Radio. Teresa is in Peoria, Illinois, watching us on YouTube today. Teresa, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. How are you doing today? I okay. Just had a, good. I was just having a question. Uh, if you could touch a bit about the New Age concerns like yoga and such. And is it a, a sin if I did the yoga without knowing it? And also, uh, my grandpa and uncle was in the Masonic Lodge, and I saw that it, that's a possible curse. And I was wondering if you could touch on that also. What do you mean by curse? You mean you inherit his sins? Yeah. No, you can't inherit his sins. But uh, my grandfather was a Mason, too. My grandfather on my mother's side. She's a Protestant convert. He was a 32nd degree Mason. Uh, Masonic order is a religion. And it's a religion which denies the Trinity and the Incarnation. And basically holds that the human will and human knowledge can resolve all of our difficulties. So it's an atheistic religion in some ways. 
And we, uh, they tell you you can be in any religion to be a Mason. You can, well, that's true because there, it doesn't matter what you believe. The important thing is just that you're in doing your work according to the Masonic order. Um, as to the other question you asked me, uh, what was it again? I lost it was track. basically if she was involved in yoga but didn't really realize the new oh, age yeah. implications. Is that a, a well, for Well, okay. Yeah, but you do now, right? Right. I, I only did it one time, and I felt weird yeah. there. Well, let's put it this way. No self-respecting Hindu, and it comes from Hinduism, would maintain that there's no religious meaning to yoga. And uh, it's become an exercise technique in the West. But many people believe that like the film series, which was fun, but still interesting, Star Wars, that it was exempt to permeate the West with Eastern spirituality. You know, Yoda is basically a Zen master. And this whole thing of the force is an impersonal whatever. That's very, very Eastern religion. And the fact that it has a good and bad side, like the yin and the yang, that's very, very Eastern religion, too. And uh, Eastern religion has impersonal God. You have no freedom. You know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, you, you basically fit in to whatever the force is um, as a part of your destiny. It's your destiny, period. You have no choice. That's very, very Eastern religion. It's the same as karma. And uh, it, 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 we need to realize that the crystals and all that junk, because remember, I come from California. I'm very familiar with New Age stuff. Uh, it, it's wrong. It's very anti-Catholic. And no, we suppose you know, schools and businesses have started yoga exercises now for relaxation. Well, suppose I walked into a school and said, well, why don't you say the rosary? That's religious. Oh, but it relaxes you. Well, that's still religious, they'd say. They don't say that about yoga. So, yeah, I would say that um, now that you know that it, if you didn't know before, well, you did it. You know, an invincible ignorance again. You have to have full knowledge uh, that you're responsible for in order to uh, commit a sin. But now that you know about it, don't do it. God bless you, Teresa. We'll head quickly to Florida. Jacob is listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Jacob, just a couple minutes left with Father Milady. What's your question today? Hey, Father. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I am curious in regards to one of the last callers talking about how Protestants uh, may be held less accountable. So I am the first Catholic in my family for about 500 years, uh, wasp stock going back all the way. And so because of that, too, I am also the first person to ever really evangelize as far as the Catholic faith is concerned to my family. And I am curious as if I am somehow actually making it um, their salvation more unlikely because they're so far at least unwilling to consider the Catholic faith because I am now living proof that we can accept the faith, uh, and now I, that I've evangelized to them, um, they, you know, they can't say that they didn't know anything about it. Yes, that's true, intellectually. 
But the fact whether they accept it or not is another issue. And, you know, one of the important things to remember is that in Aristotle, uh, the passions, the emotions, and the feelings are treated in the rhetoric. And the reason is because the ability to make speeches and convince people isn't where you learn the truth. You learn the truth in other places. In philosophy, you learn metaphysics or in physics. But making people open to listening to what you have to say, that's an art. And it's the art of speaking. And you have to consider their point of view, what, how they're hearing things. And as you know, what we communicate isn't the way someone often hears it. Because there's another famous axiom, whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver, not the giver. So you may perfectly well be, you know, in good faith, be giving the truth and that you think it's wonderful and you're happy to convert. That's not necessarily what they're receiving. And you need to figure out what reception will help them to be more open to receiving my personal opinion is that you can't shove religion down somebody else's throat. However, if you're happy in your faith and you show it and you go and you're just um, head over heels, you could say, in love with God and you love all the things about the Catholic religion and you practice them freely, people are going to want to know why. And that's where your opportunity comes. God bless you, Jacob. Thanks so much for the phone call. Carol in Illinois, I am so sorry, but we are flat out of time. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven today, Mr. Charles Beery. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it again tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until we get together tomorrow on Open Line Friday, God bless.